Welcome to the Ark Church Podcast. On here, you'll find all of our Sunday and Wednesday messages, as well as classes and special services. If you would like more information about the Ark Church, visit us at thearkchurch.com or download our app available to all app stores. Our heart for you is that you would live for God, grow stronger, and make a difference. Enjoy. In 1952, and no, I was not born yet. Uh, 1952, a, a young lady by the name of Florence Chadwick stepped into the cold waters off Catalina Island to begin to swim back toward the California coast. It's 22 miles. She was an accomplished long distance swimmer. She actually was the first woman to swim the, the English Channel both ways. And she got in the water, but it was a, the Pacific, if you've ever been to the Pacific, that water's cold. And she was, she was in, it was cold, it was a chilly day, and then it, and the fog rolled in, and she couldn't even hardly see the boat sometimes that were traveling with her. And as she swam, she swam for 15 hours. And as she was just starting to just reach the point where she couldn't go any further, she couldn't, she just, the fog was so enveloping, she just couldn't see. And she, she said, I, I want out. Her mom tried to talk her into staying, said, Florence, you need to stay in there, hon. You're, you're not that far, you need to stay in. But she, she just gave in, she gave up. They pulled her out of the water. And they pulled her out of the water and kept going. They were half a mile from the shore. Florence Chadwick said later on, she said, uh, she said, if I'd have been able to see the shore, she said, I don't think I would have quit. Florence didn't really run out of strength. She ran out of courage. This morning, I want to talk about the courage to continue. We talk about having a different year, making the year different. What can we do differently this year? There are some things we can do differently this year. And I want to talk about having the courage to continue. So well, why do we need courage? Well, if it was easy, everybody would do it. We need courage for those things in life that are inconvenient. You know, something that's inconvenient is it, it's out of your way. I remember for years, Joy and I uh, went to Lakewood Church, and we were involved in Lakewood. We went actually four times a week. We would go Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and then we led a group on Friday nights. We're 40 miles from Lakewood. And Lakewood services did not last an hour. This was back in the old days. Back when an hour, anybody remember when an hour and a half was like a, a short service? And then two hours was not out of the norm. And so we would, man, we were just going, and, and 40 miles, let me tell you something, you, could start and, you can start and complete a very good argument within 40 miles. You can just, it was, it was long, it wasn't convenient. But we went. It, you have courage, you need courage when it's not comfortable. I, I know for some of you, maybe coming into church is a challenge, or coming into a big church is a challenge. It's, it's not comfortable. And you're like, I, you know, I've, I've had people say, Alan, there, there, there are more people in this church than, than were in my hometown where I grew up. And for some people, it's uncomfortable for them to come. You move out of your comfort zone. You need courage to move out of your, outside of your comfort zone. You, you need courage to move when there's a conflict. Maybe you've been living for the Lord. You decided to go to church. You decided to change some things in your life and, and, and really live for God. And maybe it's caused conflict with friends or conflict with family. It takes courage to continue. There was a man and his wife. They married for 25 years and he forgot their 25th wedding anniversary. Not good. She was hot. I mean, she just... She lit into him. She said, you know, I've, I've forgiven you when you've forgotten some of my birthdays before. She said, but this is our 25th 
wedding anniversary and you forgot it. She said, I want to tell you something. She said, when I wake up tomorrow morning, there had better be something in that driveway that goes from zero to 180 in about two seconds flat. <laughs> she woke up the next morning, she looked out, and sure enough, there's this beautifully wrapped package in the driveway. And she went out, opened it up with anticipation, but found out it was a bathroom scale. There is a, there's a big difference between courage and stupid. His, his viewing was two days later. But uh, when there's conflict, it takes courage to, to be able to deal with that. It takes courage to live and walk this Christian life. Whoever said that Christianity is a crutch for the weak has never lived this life. It takes courage to do it. Paul was writing to the church at Corinth, and he said this, watch, stand fast in the faith. That's a, that's a strong term. Be brave, be strong. Let all that you do be done with love. Stand fast in the faith. You don't give up on your faith. You be brave and be strong. When's the last time you ever heard a parent go, you know what, I really want my child to grow up brave. We don't talk about it much anymore. And yet bravery is needed. We need courage. And we need courage for this life. We need courage because not everything is, is going to be easy. And, and sometimes we're going to have to make decisions that are difficult and things that are going to be a little harder. Have you ever noticed in the scriptures, there's a lot of metaphors around athletics and around military. The Bible says, fight the good fight of faith, not cruise the good cruise of faith. It talks about uh, running the race that's set before us, not getting weary. Why, why does it use them? Because we need courage to be able to do these things. And it takes courage to make some of these decisions. It's not an easy life. It's the best life, but it requires courage. In 1947, in April, Jackie Robinson was the first man to break the color barrier in Major League Baseball. First black man to ever play for the Brooklyn Dodgers. That's a great story of courage on his part, if you ever read his story. It took a lot of courage to do what he did. But it also took courage for a man named Branch Rickey who hired him. Branch Rickey was a believer. Branch Rickey, when he was debating this idea of, of having Jackie Robinson come play, he burst into his pastor's office and study. His pastor was named uh, Wendell, Wendell uh, Fifield. He said, Wendell, he said, I just need to be here just a minute, just to be with you. I won't interrupt. Just let me be here. And Wendell said, okay. And Wendell's wife said that uh, she watched him and, and the two men just spent some time together. No one said a word. The pastor continued to work. And he said, and Branch Rickey just paced. He would pace and he would pause. He would look out the window and he would pace and he would pause. And he did that for about 45 minutes. And finally he went over there and he slammed his, his fist on, the, on his pastor's desk. He said, Wendell, I got it. And he sat down. He said, this, this situation was so complex. He said, it was so fraught with pitfalls, but it was filled with so much good. He said, I needed to know, I, I needed to have it in my heart that God was for me doing it. And he looked at, he looked at his pastor. He said, Wendell, he said, I'm going to hire Jackie Robinson to play. There was a journalist that later looked at Branch Rickey and said, he said I'm going to tell you something, Branch, when, when Jackie Robinson takes that field, he said, all hell's going to break loose. Branch Rickey looked at him and smiled and said, yeah. He 
said, but I believe all heaven will rejoice. It was a move that required courage, and it was a great move. And so he, he made that move. You say, well, I don't have to make decisions like that. Maybe not. But all of us have to make decisions that require courage and the courage to continue, the courage to keep up. Hey, listen, maybe some of you decided, you know, this year we're, we're going to we're going to go to we're going to go to church. We're going to we're going to we're going to go to church more than twice a year. We're going to go to church. We're going to jump in this year. It takes courage to continue that. Hey, it took courage this morning when you put your toes out of bed. But ooh, it's a lot warmer and toastier in here than it is out there. It takes courage to be able to come. But it takes courage to keep commitments. We need courage to continue. There's a lady in the Bible I want to, I want to talk about this morning, a little single mom. It's a great story. Her story is, is one of, it's in the Old Testament, and it's a situation where David, who was king of, uh, he was king of Israel, man, he was in a situation where he had a famine in the land for three years. Famine means, man, we're, we're talking about economic depression, not just recession. It's a bad situation. So finally, after three years, he prayed about it. I'm like, David, you know, I, I think I've been praying quicker, but anyway, he's just, uh, he said, uh, Lord, what's going on? And the Lord said, well, it's, it's because of what King Saul did ahead of time. King Saul was the king before David, and he had tried to kill a group of people called the Gibeonites. The Gibeonites were not Israeli, but they were protected by a covenant with Israel, and they were always to live under that covenant. And Saul had killed them. It was wrong. And so David realized, he said, I've got to make this right. So David goes to the Gibeonites. He said, how do I make this right, guys? And they said, well, he said, we don't want any money. We don't want you to kill anybody in Israel. He said, but we do want you to give us seven men from Saul's descendants. He said, turn them over to us. We'll see what happens. So the king took Armoni and Mephibosheth, the two sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Ai, whom she bore to Saul, and the five sons of Michelle, that actually is Mirab, the Bible says is Mirab, who was the oldest daughter of Saul, whom she brought up for Adriel, the son of Barzillai, the Maholothite. Get that name right. Maholothite, not troglodyte, Maholothite. And he delivered them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them on the hill before the Lord. So they fell, all seven together, and they were put to death in the days of the harvest, the first days in the beginning of the barley harvest. Now Rizpah, the daughter of Ai took sackcloth and spread it for herself on the rock from the beginning of the harvest until the late rains poured on them from heaven. And she did not allow the birds of the air to rest on them by day, nor the beasts of the field by night. And David was told what Rizpah, the daughter of Ai, the concubine of Saul, had done. So he brought up the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, from there, and they gathered the bones of those who had been hanged. Rizpah was a lady who did not have a lot of status. She was a concubine. Concubine was like a wife, but you didn't have the privileges of a wife. And often the concubines were picked from the prettiest girls in Israel. She obviously was a pretty girl. It's interesting, her name, Rispa, means hot rock. I did not make that up. It's, it's actually true. And uh, she was a concubine of Saul. And uh, the thing about being a concubine, you think, well, who would want to do that? Well, you got protected. Typically, as a wealthy man. You got protected and you got provided for. But then Saul died. So now she's a single mom. And then she had a fling with a guy named Abner and he died. So now she's alone again. And she's and being single. Listen, single parents, hardest job in America, even harder back then. Just 
just difficult. And they took her sons, and, and this woman with no status, no power, they took her two boys, her only two boys, and hung them. And the five sons of this other lady, Merah. But she was a king's daughter, not Rispa. Rispa had no status. She was just a, a single mom. But the Bible does mention her name. And whenever the Bible mentions her name, it is honoring her. So the Bible's honoring this lady. And it honors her because she took on a hard job. After they hung her sons, she took some sackcloth, which is a big cloth, and she laid it on a rock, evidently right near where the, where the men had been hung. And she stayed out there, and she would, her, her job that she took on, you talk about uncomfortable? You're talking about un, not inconvenient? She's, she's knocking the birds off of them during the daytime, the vultures who would come and try to, try to pick the boys' bodies. The, the Jews had a real sense of, of dedication and reverence for the dead. And she was not going to let her boys' bodies be desecrated, and even the bodies of the other woman's sons as well. And she knocked, the, so she's not, I don't know if she had a sword or a stick, but she's knocking the birds off at day and the wild beast, you know, the wild beast during the, during the night. Can you imagine that job? You're, you're, you're sleep deprived, you're waking up, and there's, there's a wild beast trying to tear at your son, and so you're, you're backing them off. I was talking with Joy about this last night, and Joyce, don't think she said, the birds? Yeah, I said, yeah, birds, knocking the birds off. She said, she said, what kind of wild beasts? I said, well, they weren't wild poodles, I can tell you that. They were, <laughs> they were wild beasts. And Joyce like, well, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if I'd done that. So if Michael and Matt, <laughs> mama's out, wild beast did it. <laughs> but, but could you imagine that as a mother waking up every day and there's your, there's your son hanging there, dead, decomposing? And then you've got to keep the beast and the birds off of him? That's a hard job. How in the, why in the world would you do something like that? Love. She loved those boys. She didn't want to see their bodies desecrated. So she stayed out there. And here's the deal. It wasn't for two weeks. It was for five months. Five months she stayed. Now, the word got back to David. And the word came to David. They said, David... Do you, do, you, do you realize what this Rizpah, she was Saul's concubine. Remember her? And he's like, yeah, she's, she's been out there for five months keeping the bodies of those men protected. She, she out there. And you know what it did? It inspired David. I don't know if it shamed him or inspired him. But David did what he should have done a long time ago. And he went and got the, the bones of Saul and Jonathan who had died in battle. And he took him and gave them a proper burial. And he took down those seven men who had hung. Her courage, little single mom, inspired a king to do what's right. Courage. We need courage to continue. Now you might be thinking to yourself, I don't know, Alan, you know, I'm all for courage and stuff, but I, you know, really at heart, I'm just a chicken. No, you're actually not. Because the Bible doesn't say if anyone is in Christ, he's a new chicken. It said if anyone in Christ, he's a new creation. And that means you have the capacity for courage and you have the ability for courage. And so that's, that's in you. So take Take heart, you're not a chicken. You say, well, how do I develop this courage? Let me give you some things that, that'll help, and we can learn it from RISPA. The bigger the purpose, the stronger the motivation. The bigger the purpose, the stronger the motivation. The purpose has got to be bigger than just ourselves. RISPA was doing this for her boys. No personal glory, just herself. 
No, just to, to bring glory to her. She was doing that for her sons. It, it was a love motivation. It compelled her. Bigger the purpose, stronger the motivation, and the stronger the reason for courage. Listen, if your only goal in life is to pursue your personal happiness, courage is going to run out pretty quick because there's just a lot of things in life that are going to happen. It needs to be bigger than that. When I was growing up, I, I used to love to read sports stories. Actually, I still do. And one of the, the stories I read I thought was a, was a great story was in the 70s. If anybody remembers a man by the name of Dan Gable. Anybody remember his name? He was a, he was a wrestler. And uh, grew up in Waterloo, Iowa. Iowa's big on wrestling. And so he, he was a wrestler. He was, he was a good wrestler. But a tragedy happened in his life that changed him. He and his parents were on vacation. His older sister stayed at home. And when she stayed at home during the vacation, a boy from her school came in and murdered her. When Dan Gable came back and, and, and realized that tragedy, he blamed himself. And he took all that rage that he felt and he went inward with it. And he was determined that he was going to redeem the life of his sister by how he performed on the mat. It's how he performed on the wrestling mat. And he began a, a new, his mantra was push to collapse. And he would push himself and push others around him to the point just of exhaustion. His training regimen was incredible. I remember as a kid reading his training regimen that sometimes he would take, just, just for fun, he would take a deck of cards, shuffle them, and then he'd turn a card over, and whatever that number on that card was, he did that many push-ups, and he'd go through the whole deck. Turn over a two, two push-ups. Turn over an eight, eight push-ups. Turn over a 10, 10 push-ups. Turn over a queen, 10 more push-ups, and he'd go through the whole deck. I tried that. I got through four cards, but he, he got the, he was, they, his training regimen was just so amazing, and he pushed himself. He won high school championships in Iowa. He went to college and was undefeated for four years. Won four, three national championships, but on his very last, his very last match, he lost the NCAA championship. He was, he was shocked. He was upset. He, the, the sports world was stunned because he was beaten his last match, undefeated for four years until that last one. They said he left the, the mat just in tears. He felt like he had dishonored the memory of his sister. But then he got back on it again. And Dan Gable went into the 1972 Olympics and just obliterated everybody. He won the gold medal. But he wanted to do it for the purpose. Now, when I read about Dan Gable, I never knew the purpose behind what he was doing it for. But he wasn't doing it just for personal glory. He was doing it because he wanted to honor his sister's memory. He wanted, to, he wanted to do something to make that situation better. When the purpose is big, it helps with our courage. You know, Jesus, same way. Jesus had a big purpose, and it wasn't to glorify himself. We were his purpose. Look what it says here. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and it sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. How many of you know that the cross was a huge conflict? That the cross was not convenient? That the cross was not comfortable? But the cross was something that was so difficult. The Bible said in the garden, he's, he was almost sweating. He was sweating blood 
because he knew what he was going to have to go through and bear the sins of the world. Why did he do it? He didn't do it for personal glory. Jesus did it because we were the purpose. You and I were the purpose. He knew that if he would go to the cross, it would give mankind an opportunity to once again be connected with God and never have to live apart. He knew that if he went to the cross... He knew if he went to the cross, he would break Satan's power over mankind and mankind could once again live free. He knew if he went to the cross, it would mean billions of people living with him forever and eternity. We were the joy set before him and because of that, he had the courage to endure. And if he had, he said, well, that was Jesus, but Jesus is our example. And our courage to endure says, I want, I want to continue because I want to make a difference. I want to make a difference in my family. I want to make a difference in my church. I want to make a difference for the kingdom of God. You want to make, he said, I don't know if I want to make a difference for the kingdom. Yeah, you do want to make a difference for the kingdom. Because one day you're going to stand before the Lord and he's going to say, what did you do for me? And you go, nothing. He's going to go, who was your pastor? Don't say me. I'm like... We want to do something that's bigger, not just for ourselves, but we do something for him. Listen, some of you said, you know what? I'm, I'm going to commit to, to coming to church. Don't just do it because it makes you happy. Do it because it makes you better and that you can be better for your family, for your employer, for your church, for the kingdom of God. You say, well, I'm going to start. I, I want to serve. Well, don't just do it because you think it's convenient because I promise you serving is not convenient. We woke up on the very first Sunday of the year. First Sunday of the year. You remember that? It was cold. It was, it was cold and, and man, the wind had been blowing and been storming all night. I'm, I asked Ellen, I said, oh, Ellen, I'm, I'm, I'm a little concerned your volunteers won't show up. Yeah, I'm going to tell you something. Our children's church volunteers showed up in space. You know what they kind of had the attitude of? Oh, you got a bad Sunday? Well, just bring it on because we just take, we revel in stuff like that. I thought, man, that, that's the kind of thing you need. It wasn't convenient. It wasn't comfortable, but they showed up anyway to make a difference in our children. It's got to have a bigger purpose. Bigger purpose, stronger the courage. And here's another thing. Adopt the right mindset ahead of time. Mindset ahead. I think sometimes we, we've had this idea, guys, that life is easy. Life is not easy. We need to know that ahead of time. I, I used to get a kick. At, I don't do any premarital counseling, but I would love those couples that would come in. They're like, we're going to get married, and it's so awesome, and it's so wonderful. And we never argue, and we never fight. It's just it's beautiful. I'm like, <laughs> As their pastor, I did not do that. But I'm thinking to myself, you better cowboy up, darling, because it's about, it's about to hit. You see, you see them a few months later, they walk in like shell-shocked. It's like, oh my gosh, what did I do? But you've you got to have this mindset ahead of time. We're going to do this. We're not going to try this. We're going to do this. We're going to get that, we're going to get that and, and we're going to push past our quitting points. You say, what quitting point? What are those quitting points in our life that when we reach them, we just say, I, I can't go any further. I quit. It's hard, I quit. Whatever your quitting point is, all of us have quitting points. Whatever your quitting point is, this year make your determination, I'm going to move past my quitting point. I'm going to move past whatever. I'm going to start reading my Bible, I'll get tired. No, move past that quitting. Push yourself past it. Brian Tracy is a motivational speaker. He said he ran into a, 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 an older man who wrote a lot of success books called Cop Coppermeyer. 
And Kopp Koppmeyer wrote four volumes of, of a book with 250 success principles. He'd done 50 years of research, four volumes. He wrote 1,000 success principles. And Brian said, Kopp, <laughs> it's a lot of principles. He said, what's number one? And here's what Koppmeyer told him. I think, it's a, I think it's important. He said, here's the number one success principle. He said, do what you should do when you should do it, whether you feel like it or not. I'm going to repeat that again. Because I didn't get any amens out of that. I mean, I got... <laughs> do what you should do when you should do it, whether you feel like it or not. Amen. Good. Y'all caught on quick. Y'all <laughs> are quicker than that first service, I can tell you. But then... Probably because you slept longer. But anyway, it's a, that, that's, a, that's an important principle. I'm, I'm going to give you one. I'm going to give you a Christ-like principle, too. It's here in, in uh, Peter. Peter said, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself also with the same mind, same mindset. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, I want you to hear me on this. When I say suffering in the flesh, I'm not talking about suffering with cancer or suffering with sickness. I'm not talking about being just an abject poverty. I'm not talking about being oppressed and, and beaten down. That's not the kind of suffering. The suffering in the flesh is the mentality that I'm going to push past my quitting point because my flesh always wants to quit. The spirit's willing, flesh is weak. I mean, there's sometimes that, have you ever dieted? If you've ever dieted, you understand suffering in the flesh. You get up at night and your body says, Oreos and milk would really be good right now. And you, or there's a piece of pie that's left over in the refrigerator. And you're on a diet. And so you go, no, I'm going to eat a celery stick and a, and a and picante sauce. Your flesh says, we don't want celery sticks and picante sauce. We want Oreos and milk. And you say, no, flesh, we're eating celery sticks and picante sauce. Say, why, do you, why are you talking about that? Because that's what I eat sometimes at night, celery sticks and picante sauce. Because that screen is not big enough to hold me if I eat Oreos at night. I'll, I'll... But your flesh suffers, and you know that. So, so it, your flesh suffers when you tell your flesh, no, we're not going to commit adultery. We're going to stay faithful to our spouse. Where'd you go? Your flesh suffers when you say, no, I know we'd rather stay in. I know we'd rather do anything, but we committed to going to church. We're going. Your flesh suffers. We said, no, we committed to doing this, to help this community. We're going to do this. It's not easy. That's why it takes courage to continue. But there's benefits there. Do you know your courage can inspire people around you? It can honor God. It can bless you. Your courage. So, well, Alan, no one knows me. No one's watching. You'd be surprised at who's watching you. You'd be surprised because here's the thing. If you can do it, they can do it. It gives them hope. I remember during our Christmas, Christmas um, presentation, our program we did, we did four services. Every service I mentioned something and every service clapped. And it was when I mentioned that Joy and I would be married in April for 40 years. Everyone clapped. 
Y'all are quick. Y'all are quick. I'm telling Here, here's No, here's the thing. A lot of these people did not know us, but they still clapped because of that commitment. Because we had continued. Because it's a little unusual sometimes. And by the way, when I talk about courage to commit, I'm talking about that Joy and I, listen, it takes two to make a marriage work. Joy was committed. Actually, a lady came up and corrected me after the first service. She said, actually, Alan, it takes three. You, them, and the Lord. She's right. Because I was committed to the Lord, and Joy was committed to the Lord, and he, we stayed connected to him even when the, our cords had frayed. And so we stayed there. But what I was, I'm always surprised at people that clap at 40. My parents were married for over 60 years. I'm thinking, don't clap till 50. But it, it inspires people to think, well, if they can make it, I can make it too. Listen, your courage can inspire other people. It can, it can help them. It's like, wow, you can do this? If you can do this, I can do this. It inspired a king. It can inspire the people in your life. And there's blessings there. Paul wrote to the church at Galatians. This is what he said. He said, let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we don't lose heart. In due season we shall reap if we don't lose courage. Don't lose courage this year. Don't give up on doing good things. Man, some of you have decided, I'm going to serve God. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to do a better job of living for God. Don't give that up. Don't give it up. For in due season, you'll reap. It might not happen overnight. This is not like the lottery where you hit the three cherries and, and, and the money comes out. No, this is something. You stay in it and you stay in it, and you stay in it, and things get better, and things improve, and then you begin to look and go, dear Lord, I'm so glad I decided to live this life, because living this life is better than any other. It's not the easiest life. It's the best life. It produces the best results. Don't give up. Now, you might be listening to me this morning and think, ah, oh, you know, you know, Alan, I, I've, I haven't done a real good job. I haven't, I haven't done a good job with this. Well, listen, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you something. I'll tell you who hasn't given up on you, and that's the Lord. Kevin Young wrote a, wrote a story a number of years ago. I've never forgotten it. He wrote a story about being in a Special Olympics. Um, it was a Special Olympics track meet. He said, and they were about to run the 400-meter dash, one lap around the track. He said he was sitting there. I think it was around the 80s. He said he was sitting there, and the man in front of him jumps up, three-piece suit, jumps up and, and pumps his fish in there and goes, Lenny, Lenny. He looked down the track and a, and a middle-aged, overweight man with Down syndrome looked up for the voice, saw his dad. He was very preoccupied with wringing his hands, Lenny was. And when they all, when they fired off the gun, everyone leaped forward except for Lenny. Lenny just continued to run, but he was just wringing his hands. He was, he was behind the pack and, and, and falling farther behind. The man, the man just continued to go, go, Lenny, you're doing great, son. He's pumping his fist in the air. And, and he said, then he turned around to all of us who were behind him and said, that's my son, Lenny. Isn't he doing great? And they all were kind of like, uh-huh, yeah. He said, when Lenny's rounding the end of the track, what, that last turn, everybody else had finished. Lenny is, is running. He's, he's, he, he said, he's just, he felt sorry for him. He's just pitiful. And he's running and he's wringing his hands. He's so far behind. He's just, but his dad is like, go, Lenny. Go, son. He turned around and said, my son Lenny is about to finish. And everyone kind of 
dutifully applauded. He said, but really we were embarrassed. And Lenny finished. He said, and that father made his way down to the track. And when he got down there, he just grabbed his son and hugged his son. And Kevin Young said, he said, I saw that. He said, I began to weep. He said, I was, he said the Lord just spoke to my heart. He didn't hear a voice. He spoke to my heart. He said, son, you're a lot like Lenny running your race. You're way behind. You're pitiful and, and just, just doing such a poor job in so many ways. He said, but son, he said, uh, I'm cheering you on. He said, and I love you like that man loves his son. I thought, I'm going to add to Kevin's story. God loves us more than that man loves his son. Have you felt like, oh, I haven't done a good job? I, I, haven't, I haven't been the, the, the husband, the wife, the father, the mother, the, the employee, the, the servant of God. I haven't been what I should have been. Here's the thing. Don't quit. You know, Florence Chadwick, when she, ran, when she swam the second time, it was just as foggy the second time that she swam from Catalina to California. But this time she was ready for it. And this time she didn't quit. Arm yourself. Tell yourself, it's going to be a different year. I'm going to, by the grace of God, I'm going to live courageously. And I'm going to win. But keep in mind, there's someone cheering you on. Someone who loves you. Would you bow your heads with me for a moment? I'm going to ask you, if you would stay seated for just a minute, we'll be out of here. But if you came this morning and said, Alan, I, I've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, or I'm not sure if I have or not, but I want to be sure. That's where this starts. It, it starts with the courage to commit to Him. Or maybe you're like I was. I, I made that commitment, but I backed off of it. Went far away from God. Hey, listen, you can always come back. His hands are still stretched out. He's still rooting you on. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed. No one's looking around. I'm going to ask you a question. If that's you that I'm talking to this morning, or you're watching online or you're here and you say, you know, Alan, I, I, I know I need the Lord in my life or I'm not sure if I have him in my life or I know I need him back. I know I want to come back. Alan, I, I want in on your prayer. Would you pray for me real quick? Will you slip your hand up across this auditorium? Thank you. 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 Hands have gone up all over. Anybody else? Say, that's me. Would you pray for me? Great. We're going to do that. Thank you for your courage. The courage to do that. We're going to say a prayer now. And maybe for some reason you didn't lift your hand. You think, ah, I did it again. I, I missed my opportunity. You did not miss your opportunity. We're going to pray this prayer. This is a heart prayer. He sees hands. He sees hearts. You can pray this prayer with us right from your heart. We're going to, we're going to join you as a, as a church family. If you're watching online, if you're by yourself, pray this out loud. If you're with other people, pray it quietly. But let's all pray this together. Say, dear God, I know mankind needs a Savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ.
because I said yes to you. I thought you still bowed just for a moment. Father, thank you for those that prayed that prayer. For those who have stepped out of darkness into your marvelous light and for those who have come back home. But Father, thank you that we pray for them and with them that they would have the courage to commit to you and to continue with you. And Father, for the rest of us, that this would be a year we push past quitting points. That this would be a year that we push past things that have held us back. That we have the courage to continue to our commitment to you. Thank you, Father, that you cheer us on. You love us and we're for you. In Jesus' name. We hope this message has blessed you. We have services every single Sunday at 9 and 1030 and Wednesday nights at 7. We'd love to see you here. Have a great week.